Welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. Well, good morning, everyone. I was just thinking about how I'm in the room with a bunch of winter warriors. Winter warriors, that's you. Give yourselves a hand for leaving the house today. Yeah. Welcome, welcome, everyone. My name is Bobby, and I'm one of the pastors on the team at Commons. It's my pleasure to welcome you here on the first Sunday of Advent. Last week in Kensington, when Jeremy finished the Joseph series, he made this statement. He said, welcome to Advent. And every time he said it, I had the same reaction inside of me. Hold up, pal. We are not there yet. We still had one week to go, but now we are here. We're in Advent. So welcome to Advent. One of my favorite Advent books invites you to the season of Advent with these words. Advent marks something monumentous. Momentous. That's definitely the word I meant. Momentous. God's coming into our midst. That coming is not just something that happened in the past. It's a reoccurring possibility here and now. So Advent makes all of this space for the ways that we are still waiting and longing for God to come into our midst. We wait for a rescuer, we wait for a savior, we wait for a lover, we wait for a friend, we wait for a helping hand, we wait for a soft place to land. The cool thing about all this waiting is that we sense this invitation to participate in Jesus' coming here and now, and here's what I mean by that. There are a couple things that we do at Commons to welcome and mark Advent. First, we wear a stole during our teaching time, all Advent long. A stole is just like a highlighter that marks this time as different, as special, as something to pay really close attention to. And second, as Scott mentioned earlier, we invite you and all of us to participate in our annual Advent campaign. This year we have that goal to raise over $50,000 on top of our regular giving. And every year we try to engender some of the generosity that we find in the Christmas story and direct that away from ourselves to those who are most in need. So again, our partnerships include that four-year post-secondary scholarship for a young mom at Louise Dean, an extended group of local agencies that meet real needs in our neighborhoods, ongoing efforts to build up our benevolence, to meet needs in and around our community. And finally, another round of fundraising for our refugee resettlement efforts. So again, you can go to commons.church slash advent to contribute and to learn more about all of those partnerships. I love that these are really practical things that we do to open our hearts at this time of year, making a special season even more special, helping others who have less to go with more. So speaking of Advent traditions, I actually have a fairly complicated relationship with Christmas music. 
I think it's maybe because I love Advent so much, these themes of waiting and longing, they really speak to me. So Advent is like this honest check in my spiritual life, and Christmas music feels like it's rushing me to go through those themes. I mean, how can I hold space for my longing when John Legend is crooning, have yourself a merry little Christmas in my ear? Or how can I honor the ways that we are all waiting for lasting peace when Christina Aguilera, back from like the early 2000s, is caroling angels we have heard on high. Maybe I don't hear angels yet, Christina. Don't rush me. So, back in 2014, I decided to make my own Advent playlist and share it with a few close friends. It's a playlist that we still listen to. I started with a song by Rose Cousins called All the Stars, and it includes this verse, very poetic. She sings, Fly the birds by and by. The reason why do you listen for the pull of the wind as they swoop and soar? Do you want more? Do you want more? Yes. Yes, Rose Cousins, I want more. Then I went to James Vincent McMorrow's cover of Steve Winwood's Higher Love. Think about it. There must be higher love down in the heart and in the stars above. I see there's a bit of a stars theme going on, so that's, of course, very seasonally appropriate. Then I wove in some traditional Advent songs through the middle of this playlist. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, classic Advent, right? And Sufi and Stevens' Lumberjack Christmas slash No One Can Save You From Christmas's Past, a total holiday standard. And like any good soundtrack to a season, I played this playlist over and over and over again. It allowed me to be in my longing. This music honored life's waiting. Today, we are going to open our ears and our hearts to songs of longing. We are going to begin with the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and finish with Mary's Magnificat from Luke chapter 1. I'm calling this Liberation Songs on Repeat. So let's pray and dive in. Loving God of our holy longing to whom all hearts are open and all desires known. We sit here with you and with our community aware of Advent longing. At the beginning of the world, your holy longing brought creation into being. Your holy longing moves across millennia to see us breathe in that first sacred breath. Air in our lungs, the ground under our feet, and longing in our hearts for more. Today, may we brave the terrain of our hearts, may we stay open to songs from the past, and listen to how they join with our songs in the present. Help us to find our voices to sing along, we pray. Amen. So, 
There is one other song I put on the 2014 playlist that I want to tell you about. My big finish was this sleepy tune by Bonnie Prince Billy called There Will Be Spring, which starts, There will be spring to the very end. I'll sleep to the sound of burning winter. Place for me built and for my friends, by which we'll pass each on his venture. And I ended the playlist with this song because a good friend of mine sent it to me while he was going through a time of real faith questioning, a faith questioning venture. I kept There Will Be Spring on repeat because I wanted to honor my friend's search for more. And that search is like Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. She rocks to the beat of her own longing. You see, Hannah was one of two wives to a man named Elkanah, and the other wife was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, while Hannah did not. And the detail of Hannah's barrenness drops us into a certain kind of story. Hannah shows up in the opening words of the text in Samuel because she is a type. And I don't mean that she's a five on the Enneagram, which, you know, she may be, or an INTP in Myers-Briggs. I mean type literarily. Barren women in the Bible signal to the reader that God is found in this story, turning a barren woman into the mother of a hero child. Remember, barren Sarah gave birth to hero Isaac. Barren Rebecca gave birth to hero Jacob. Barren Rachel gave birth to hero Joseph. And now, barren Hannah will give birth to hero Samuel. But none of these heroes are ever quite enough. So the story, it just cycles on and on. And I actually love this so much. You don't have to be a woman for these stories to connect to your own barrenness, your own longing for more. Remember my friend in his faith crisis, an old way of believing in God, it just left him feeling empty. The only thing for him to do was to search for more. And I think many of you can actually relate to that kind of barrenness of faith. Maybe the ways that you used to pray now make you feel worse about yourself or confused about God. Maybe what you thought about the Bible in the past is just not cutting it in your very real life now. Maybe you're just tired of thinking about God like God is out to get you, to demand something of you that you just, you can't offer up anymore. Barren faith. These barren women, they signal that God still works when we walk away from a past its prime uterus to the reconstruction of your own faith. God still works. So, Here's how that barrenness plays out for Hannah. Year after year, Elkanah takes his family to the tabernacle. And Hannah, she is worn down from the bullying of Elkanah's other wife. And she cries out to the Lord. And Eli, the priest, basically says to her, yeah, 
best of luck to you with all that. And somehow, Hannah, she has this new hope that her barren years are somehow almost behind her. And in fact, they are. Soon after they get home from this worship road trip, Hannah gets pregnant, and she gives birth to a son whom she names Samuel. Now, you might think Hannah would hold this son so close, just helicopter parent the heck out of this little tyke, but she doesn't. Hannah takes the boy back to the tabernacle and she gives him away. She tells Eli the priest, I am giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And then Hannah breaks into song. Now I'm putting Hannah's song in the persona of Beyonce in my mind, you can do with these lyrics whatever you want. Just imagine someone who embodies fortitude and fearlessness and probably a pretty catchy beat. Hannah starts. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. And unlike my little niece dressed up for Halloween, see this adorable little picture, Hannah doesn't think she's a unicorn. Horn, for Hannah, is this symbol of strength and restored dignity. Horn, for Hannah, is saying that I'm like this majestic animal, raising its head high. And then Hannah sings this line. There is no one holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And a more strict translation inserts the word other into these phrases, as in, there is no other one holy, no other one besides, no other rock or mountain like God. And this phrasing is a common designation for other divine beings. What we're really getting here is this burn against Israel's syncretic worship. At the time of Hannah's song, Israel had a worship style that was this mashup between the worship of Yahweh and the worship of a fertility goddess, Asherah. And the fertility goddess, Asherah, even had these curvy birthing hips. So you'd think, why let go of Asherah, Hannah, when all that you want is a baby? A baby to secure your future, a baby to get your sister wife off your back, a baby to make a family of your own. Well, Hannah doesn't just want a child for herself. She wants safety. She wants peace and justice to be commonplace for everyone's children. So she puts her trust in Yahweh alone because she says Yahweh is a mindful God a God who balances actions. Next, Hannah lists this string of reversals. She's painting a picture of how God will right all wrongs. She says that the bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumble will be armed with strength. And she says, those who are fattened with all the food go without, but the hungry will be hungry no more. She says the barren woman has seven children, but the woman who has many sons is left to grieve. Think about it. This is, this is a song from 
3,000 plus years ago, before Martin Luther King's speeches, before Jesus' parables, before David's psalms. This is a song about God reversing earthly relationships to power and prestige. It's personal, it's so patient, but it's about so much more. In the Hebrew scripture, Samuel is a part of the Nevi'im, the theological history of Israel. Samuel follows Judges, and Judges was a super chaotic time. Archaeologist Flinders Petrie wrote about this time of Judges as a terribly barbaric age with savage retaliations and fierce struggles of disorganized tribes. And theologian Francisca Murray makes the connection between the stateless chaos of these people and Hannah's longing for more. Hannah's song ends looking forward to a time when Israel will have this really great king who will resurrect the circumstances of her people so long before Samuel will grow up to anoint Israel's first king, Hannah begins to sing. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge in the ends of the earth. The Lord will give strength to the Lord's king and exalt the horn of the Lord's anointed. Hannah wants so much more than just a son for herself. Hannah wants a savior because Hannah knows her world is a wreck and her people are a wreck and her home is a wreck and now her song is it's set on repeat. Hannah, she hands her son over to the priest at the tabernacle. Then she turns and she walks away. And as she goes, she hums this tune of longing that she knows by heart. Hannah is part of a much bigger movement, a much louder song that cannot be silenced by human error or frustrated by junk values. So I recently stumbled upon that term, junk values in my audiobook listening habit. To be honest, I may or may not have a small problem with how many audiobooks and podcasts I listen to. Sometimes I think I know Ira Glass personally, and Phoebe Judge is my best friend. She hosts a really great podcast called Criminal. It's fine, right? It's fine that I think these people are my friends. It's totally fine. Anyway, I've been audio hauling through Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections, uncovering the real causes of depression and the unexpected solutions. And Johan Hari urges us to reconnect to meaningful values to establish healing connection. And the problem is that we are embedded in an economic system that makes us feel inadequate. We are told that the solution to this feeling is to constantly spend. So Johan Hari traces a study by social scientist Tim Kasser. And in the study, Kasser asks youth and parents some open-ended questions, and some of them are, for me, money is, dot, dot, dot. Or why do I spend? Or list what you really value. And people say that they value looking after family, Telling the truth, one 14-year-old boy even writes simply that he values love. It doesn't take long for the participants in the study to realize that there is real conflict between how they spend and what they value. Our longings, they get co-opted by advertising and we purchase stuff we don't need to put off the connection that we do need. And this isn't news to you, right? We all do it. 
we feel a little sad or lonely, we start obsessing about that new pair of shoes at Gravity Pope, or a fancier iPhone, and then we get said fancy shoes or iPhone, and then we feel hollow again. I know these feelings, you know these feelings, it's not news to us. So, Johann Hari invites us to break the cycle by coming together and thinking deeply and reconnecting with what really matters. And the wrap-up to Christmas is as good a time as any to reconsider our relationship with materialism and to pay really close attention to our deeper human longing. Because longing isn't bad. It's a part of what makes us human. We long for connection, we want belonging, we need love, we long for forgiveness, we want pleasure, we need meaningful work, we long for affection, we want some stillness, we need liberation. The song of Hannah and now the song of Mary are songs that express our craving for liberation a move away from junk values towards what really matters. So let's take a look at Mary's song, The Magnificat, the prelude to Jesus's arrival. About a thousand years after the song of Hannah, we find the story of Mary. The Gospel of Luke picks up on the theme of the barren woman. Baron Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, is going to give birth to John the Baptist. So again, we have this type scene signaling to the hearer, okay, right, right, right. We're in one of those stories. This is about God showing up and bringing about this hero child. But then the story, as we know, takes a thrilling new turn. We don't just have a barren woman giving birth to a special child, we have a virgin woman giving birth to a God child. This is the biblical story par excellence. American Cuban historian Houston Gonzalez describes it like this. He writes, the child born of her will be the same line of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Samuel, and Samson, but he is more than they. His mother has no reason to conceive, she is a virgin. In the child born of her, the long history of agents of God born of barren women comes to its culmination. Its meaning has been fulfilled. So, after this mysterious and holy insemination, Mary, now with child, trucks off to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and upon her arrival, the unborn John the Baptist jumps with joy inside of Elizabeth and Mary, breaks into song. And we call her song the Magnificat because that is the first word in the late fourth century Latin translation of the Bible known as the Vulgate. Fun times, right? That's right. Magnificat simply means magnifies, which is how this song begins. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for God has been mindful of the humble state of God's servant. Mary says that her soul, her suke in Greek, her nefesh in Hebrew, declares the greatness of the Lord. Now, when we hear soul, we think about something invisible inside of us, but in Hebrew, nefesh is so much more. 
The most basic understanding of Nefesh's throat, as in when Joseph was hauled off to slavery in Egypt, his Nefesh was put in iron shackles. But Nefesh doesn't only mean throat. Since life is dependent on the food that we swallow and the air that we breathe, nefesh can actually mean the whole person. Mary says that her whole being praises God. So Mary is not detached from her body. And this is important because for Mary and her people, liberation isn't something that they're waiting for in the afterlife. Any kind of perfect afterlife is really just not on the table in Hebrew understanding. It's this place, this earth, this community where God fulfills promises. It's here where Hannah and Mary actually live and breathe and give birth. It's here that they hope for God's healing and wholeness to come, not the afterlife. It's here. Last week, Jonathan and I were talking about liberation, and I asked him, does the word liberation mean anything to you? And he said, yeah, I think so. And I said, what? And he said, I'd like a liberation app that will liberate me from the first 10 seconds of a DJ Khalid song to just get to the good stuff. Thank you. We were actually listening to a DJ Khalid song, I was going to do it. We the best music, but it's terrible. And I was totally on board with this idea, right? How many times do I have to hear, we the best music? But then Jonathan listed real places of liberation, both personal and societal. Financial liberation, liberation from anxiety and addiction, racial liberation, and I added liberation from my urge to always have noise around me instead of sitting quietly on my yoga mat every morning. I mean, I know it's the best thing for me and still I'd rather start the day with a juicy news podcast, like every time. But I'm waging that war, so don't worry. The great day of my craving for noise reversed to stillness will dawn, but before we continue, I do want to ask you, what does liberation mean to you? Is there something that you want radically reversed? Something global? Something relational? Something personal? I think there is, right? There is. So, back to Mary's song. She launches into reversals, just like Hannah's. She sings, the mighty one has become small to scatter the proud in their inmost thoughts. The mighty one does not side with rulers on thrones, but lifts up the humble. The mighty one has paid close attention to the hungry, filling them with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So we're used to conjuring images of Mary as serene and contemplative, but the Mary of this song is fired up. The Mary of this song is a prophet. She prophesies that God is on the side of the vulnerable. She prophesies that God will overturn systemic injustice. She prophesies that God will liberate the people all too often left behind, trampled over, locked out. 
Now, Mary and Joseph were believed to have been a part of the Anavim community, and this in Hebrew is simply the poor ones. So do not, do not, do not forget who God chooses to birth all goodness through, a poor woman in a poor community in a nearly forgotten corner of an empire. So Mary ends her song singing, God has helped God's servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and Abraham's descendants forever, just as God promised our ancestors. And this word helped in Greek is antilambanomai. And the context for antilambanomai means to take a person or thing in as it is, to be held to embrace, it's tender, tender like a mother. And this is God who doesn't turn away when you're hurt or when you're longing for more. It's God who moves in to heal and to liberate. So this Advent, may you know that you are held, that you are embraced just as you are, that the divine enfolds you in perfect tenderness. The good news is always personal to you but it also opens up to include way more than you. Throughout Mary's Magnificat, she uses the phrases all generations and generation to generation to Abraham and his descendants forever. And these phrases are so interesting because where Hannah ends her song wanting a king, Mary ends her song with this echo of God's persistent liberation across the generations. And commentator Robert Brawley says that Luke's picture of Jesus proclaims God's commonwealth as an alternative to these imperial systems. In other words, Jesus didn't come to make a nation or to win a war or to form a special club. Jesus came to invite us to see how God sees, to see our common humanity made holy with the presence of the divine breath moving through us all. We still need liberation songs. We need to be liberated from our distraction, our addiction, our fear. We need to be liberated from our selfishness, the noise we surround ourselves with, the abuse we inflict on creation. We need to be liberated from our consumption, our pollution, our disconnection from one another. We need liberation songs on repeat generation after generation after generation. So how do we sing these liberation songs? Let's go back to music for a moment. Advent and Christmas music, however you want to define it. I stumbled upon something in my spiritual practice this week that I'd like to offer to you. I took the ancient practice of Lectio Divina, the sacred reading of scripture, and I kind of mashed it up with my search for outside-the-box Christmas music, Advent-themed songs in particular about waiting and longing. So I chose a song, just one song. I listened to it on repeat. That's one of my favorite things to do of all time. I just listened and listened, and I waited for a word or a phrase to just catch my attention, to kind of jump out to me. And then I asked myself two very simple questions. The first is, what do I really long for? Like, let's get real. Like, what am I longing for? And the second was and is, how is Jesus liberating me? So the song I chose 
was Mary, a Patty Griffin cover by my friend Justin McRoberts from his Christmas Songs Volume 3 album. You can find it on iTunes. And I listened to the song once, and I thought, yep, this is beautiful. I love it. And then I listened to it twice. And there's this cello at the beginning, and I was like, yes, that's my longing. I love it. But then I listened to it a third time, and there they were, words that just stood out to me. Two lines, actually. They are, angels are singing his praises in a blaze of glory. Mary stays behind and starts cleaning up the place. And as I asked myself those two questions, what do I really long for and how is Jesus liberating me? I got a bit emotional. I was moved because I sensed in that moment a God who is a blaze of glory and also somehow woven into the details of daily life right there with Mary, cleaning up the place, liberating our hearts and our minds and our bodies, generation after generation to join in the renewal and the liberation of all things, all things. Let us pray. Loving God, of holy liberation. Only you know the longing that is present in this room. Longing for love, healing, wholeness. Longing for connection, for answers, for direction. And somehow we trust that you are attentive to it all. So in this season of waiting and longing, will you show us your liberation? your liberation that is slow and persistent, your liberation that is tender and truthful, your liberation that always holds us close and carefully frees us from our own destruction. God, won't you help us this Advent to take steps towards a world more liberated, more liberated to share, more liberated to listen, more liberated to follow the humble way of Jesus. We pray all of these things in and through the Holy Spirit. Amen.